probably feels like. Ladies and gentlemen, is this what winning feels like? <sighs> yes. Yes, I feel like a million a million bucks. Not that they're worth anything with this inflation, but I feel like a million bucks. You know? Yeah. No, don't cuss, please. Oh, come on. We live in a third world country. You know? I mean, <laughs> I mean we're halfway into the great reset and we're worried about my language here. Come on. We're we're all adults. Yeah, we're all adults here. You know? Shucks. Well, I mean, I asked, I said, hey, can I say a cuss word without you guys getting butt hurt? And nobody answered fast enough, so I said it. All right, now let's move on. It's not like this is recorded or anything. Yep, TZ Burton says we might have a Merry Christmas after all. Yeah, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. No, the live stream is not gone. It's just they're at lunch. So it'll be back up. They have an hour break. And I think that it's been 30 minutes so far. Uh, so <clears throat> we're just we're just sitting here goofing off. Mm-mm. Somebody said hit refresh. Okay, let me hit refresh. That'll tickle your fancy. Nope, still the same thing. <laughs> well, what do you think? I don't know what I'm doing. Huh? I know what I'm doing here. I won't let you guys miss a thing. And I won't let you miss a thing. Okay. No more singing. No more singing. Yeah, man. Feeling pretty good, man. Feeling pretty jazzed up. What would make me feel even better, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what would make me feel even better. You guys smashed our rumble button and hit subscribe. Yeah. I've I've been putting this banner up. You know, put putting this banner up. Don't forget to subscribe, baby. Cause you know, we do our we do a good job over here. I think we do a good job here at the Nick Moseter community covering all the frickin' MAGA related news and election fraud. Staying on top of things. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm pumped. I'm freaking pumped. Now I'm looking at I'm looking at the gateway pun and I'm just gonna browse the news. You know, while we're while we're at this break, so you guys can do that with me. Get a little look see into my process of uh you know how I how I do this. So Justin Senate passes one point seven trillion dollar omnibus bill in sixty-eight through twenty-nine vote, sends legislation to House. Well, of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> yeah, the, the what is it, four thousand pages? I'm sure they all read it too. I'm sure they're I'm sure they know exactly what there's, you know, that money's going to be spent on. Uh, by the way, I heard that provisions in this omnibus include revising the Electoral Count Act or something like that. Well, no, 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 like like how elections can be t- contested. Uh, basically, making it so the vice president has real no real authority to send back the uh, the electors to the states to sort it out. And also, um, uh, what's the other thing? There's there's this stuff that like the stuff that they've been trying to trying to pass. They they slipped it into this omnibus bill, and it passed with massive bipartisan support because infl- inflation's not bad enough already. 
You know, no, inflation's just fine. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> you guys might want to go to nicklovesgold.com and protect your retirement. Get that free IRA kit, you know, IRA loophole kit, IRS loophole kit. You know, you might want to do that. You might want to do that. Because this inflation ain't going to get no better, and there's absolutely no plan to fix it whatsoever. All right. Reminder, guys, I'm I'm checking. I'm checking the, the live stream. We're still on break, and I think we got another 20, 30 minutes of the break. So, Wayne Root, this Christmas, understand and appreciate that President Trump is our Braveheart. Well, I, I already understand that. Donald Trump is my spirit animal. Michigan's men's basketball coach erupts again, restrained by players. I don't give a damn. <laughs> what the hell? See, sometimes I'm like, that's how you know the news is slow. When this is an article on the Gateway Punnet, a men's basketball coach erupts again, had to be restrained by a player. Like, that's news. Breaking. Breaking. A guy gets mad, and somebody had to hold him back. <laughs> I don't give a damn about him. I don't give a damn. I don't even watch bat. Maybe that's a big deal to somebody, but it ain't a big deal to me. <sighs> yeah. So I think uh, I think when we come back from the break, we've already examined most of the witnesses. I think the county has a couple more witnesses that they want to examine, and then it's going to be closing arguments. I don't think that today will be as long as yesterday, but I could be wrong. Actually, it, it actually it might be because we went till about six seven p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time yesterday, and we're already at two thirty. So damn. Actually, maybe it will be. It's going to be a long day. It it appears. <clears throat> and I'm not going to do any closing commentary because, like, by the time we get to that point, like yesterday, I was so damn tired. There, I was like, nah, nah. I'm just going to shut it down. Um, I'm just going to shut it down. <clears throat> uh, so here's here's one from the, the trial. Republicans were absolutely disproportionately impacted. People's pundit statistician Richard Barris testifies that Election Day chaos in Maricopa County affected the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So he's not just alleging that there was voter disenfranchisement. He's alleging that there was enough to change the outcome. Had this not happened then Carrie Lake would have been declared the winner. That is very significant. And that's why the county, they spent so much time on Richard Barris. I mean, there's only, I think, five and a half hours for each side. The county has, they wasted a lot of time asking the same questions over and over and over and over and over. Because clearly they were threatened by Richard Barris. They, they wanted to spend so much time trying to discredit him. And I don't think that they succeeded. I think that they only reaffirmed his data. Uh, so what else do we got? Freaking slow news day. Now that we assume the CIA was involved in the assassination of JFK, what else could they possibly be hiding? What do you mean now that we assume? Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that JFK was assassinated with CIA involvement. I mean, that that's not even a question. And you know what I was thinking? This might actually give you guys a little solace, or it might make you feel even worse. I'm not sure. But I've been thinking, you know, since 2020, it just makes it just feels like all of a sudden the world has turned on its axis, and this this evil cabal has been uh 
you know, stripping us of our rights and and destroying us from the inside out and the the cesspool of of corruption that is the federal government has has revealed itself and the Stasi jackbooted tactics of the FBI make you feel like you're living in Nazi Germany. The uh, the medical tyranny with COVID elections are being rigged and all this all this stuff. It's just mind blowing. But then I, I I realized when somebody said you know the JFK files are set to be released, I was like, oh wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't new. Like it's always been this way. The 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 government assassinated the president. And then <coughs> and then we had 9/11. I mean 9/11 where it, it it really did appear that it was an inside job, a controlled demolition. Uh at least with building 7. I mean, come on. Anybody who disagrees with that, I I always bring up building 7. I'm like, "But what about the third building that collapsed without a plane even hitting it?" You mean some small office fires took down a, a, a skyscraper. So my point is, we also, you know, sent people completely unjustifiably uh, via a draft to Vietnam, you know, to, to what, what, what do we have to, we have to save democracy in freaking Vietnam. Didn't they lie about the Gulf of Tonkin? And there there's dispute about Pearl Harbor. And pre- I mean, pretty much everything... <laughs> There's been so much. There's been so much crap, man. That that this isn't new. This isn't. It's it's just that we're we're waking up to it. It's not like elections just started being rigged, and it's not like the FBI and the intelligence agencies have have just started um, running covert psyops on citizens. What about MK Ultra? You know, wasn't wasn't uh, Charlie Manson? And the uh, what was it called? What was this cult? What was it called? But basically, there was CIA involvement in that. They were running, they they were they were doping people up with LSD, and it became like uh, I mean, it was it was a, it was a part of MK Ultra. Like CIA operatives visited Manson in jail and prevented him prevented him from staying in jail. Like they got him out of jail to continue that stuff. Um, yeah, we're still on break, but anyways, my whole point is like, it's not like this, it's not like this corruption just sprang up out of thin air. It's not like the deep state just came into existence when Donald Trump announced he was going to run for president. It's just that all of a sudden it's it, they're on steroids and they've been revealed through Donald Trump being like this, uh, this wild man. It was like a bull in a china shop, just you know, just saying stuff that causes people to have to expose themselves and calling out the media. And uh, you see the the establishment, like the the rhinos putting a, creating a rift between the establishment Republicans and the America First Republicans. And you know, it's it's just that we're waking up to it. So look right now. We've got 2,849 people watching this stream. And what are we watching? We're watching a freaking court case, dude. Like, I mean, I I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've never watched a court case in my life until the past two years. 
In fact, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I never cared about politics until two years ago at all. I, ne- I never even turned on the news. And I still haven't, actually. No, I, I still haven't. I, I go to alternative sources. But, like, you know, dude, I've, <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> I have never in my life, at the age of 31 picked up a tv remote and like turned on fox or or cnn i don't even i don't even have cable but i've never ever watched the news it's a it's an interesting fact about myself i didn't even know until i thought about it yeah i've never watched cable news in my life except for like when my parents had it on and i'd walk through the room and i'm like trying to trying to get by my parents and hope they're distracted enough to not know that i'm going uh going out with my friends to do hood rat stuff, you know? I don't know. So anyways, now I'm watching a court case in the middle of the day, and I'm watching it, like, with absolute full uh, focus, picking apart minute details and reporting on it to to, to 3,000 people, like, that's a freaking. If you'd have told me that a couple years ago, I'd have never believed you ever, ever. You know, and the fact that there's all all of you people watching, and I'm not the only one streaming this. You got RSBN, you got Viva Frey. It's on YouTube. It's on. I mean, it's all over the place, and all these people are tuned in because they know elections are stolen, and because they know, they know. That if we don't fix this, we don't have a country anymore, and the world's going to go to to shit. And it's that important to us that we sacrifice all this time. You know, we sacrifice all this time and energy, and sometimes it comes at a cost to our families and relationships and social lives. But we do it anyway. We do it anyway. And it's because it's important. And it's because there's no other option. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that this great awakening in this country is an amazing thing. The corruption's not new, but this awakening is. You know? You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean, jelly beans? God, I was almost motivational there for a second. But then I concluded it with saying, you know what I mean, jelly beans? Like, what a, what a cornball. What a loser. Nah, I'm not a loser, dude. I'm a freaking winner. We're going to win. And you're, you know, we're going to win. We're winners. We will all win. Yeah, man. Neil Johnson's in the chat. Go get him, Nick. Yeah, brother. Is it, is it, is it weird to see me optimistic, Neil? Is it weird to see me, (laughs) you know, peddling that hopium? It's not hopium, man. It's hope. Hopi, hopium means, to me, it means, like, getting yourself all elated about something that's, that's completely illogical and has no basis in reality whatsoever. Thinking that uh, JFK Jr. is going to come out as one of, one of Carrie Lake's witnesses, you know, I don't know, something stupid like that. Hope is when you have actual reason to be hopeful, you know. There's, there's, to me, there's a difference between hopium and hope. And I think we have reason to be hopeful right now. 
Because even if even if this case gets tossed out, we made it this far. This case is on trial. The entire country, not a, not the entire country, but lots and lots and lots of people are watching this. And the verdict, if it doesn't match up with what we saw in the courtroom, then that's going to cause people to rethink their position uh, and, and and reconsider the fact that maybe these people aren't so crazy when they said that the you know that the courts are corrupt that the Arizona statute around how you challenge elections is is completely set up to protect the fraud because if this election challenge doesn't result in a new election or Carrie Lake getting the relief that she's seeking then the game is rigged because the the evidence is there and uh if this got dismissed at the dismissal hearing, then all we would hear from the left tarts is, oh, Carrie Lake's a big loser. <laughs> but not nah, yet, baby back bitches. We succeeded. We made it here. And so you can take you can take your little uh you can take your little I don't know what, what to call you. You can take your little freaking I don't know what to co- just shove it up your ass. You know what I mean? God, I'm not that. I'm just not that clever, dude. I'm standing up right now. They tell me I got no standing. Well, then how do you explain this? I got a standing desk. Nick Moseter has standing, and my stature. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm actually nine feet tall. HJoy13 says, is awakening enough, though? Hell yeah, it is. I'm telling you, man. Why? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Why would the deep state apparatus funnel millions of dollars? Why, why, would, the, why, would, why would they spend so much money taking control of legacy media so that only a handful of Big corporations and and very powerful people control all of the information. Why would they invest so much time, energy, and money in trying to control the flow of information? Because they need you to stay dumb, ignorant, and asleep. They need to control information to keep you asleep. Why, Why does the FBI... Feel find it necessary to implant a bunch of people into Twitter and Facebook and, uh, you know, control the social media platforms and groom people psychologically by artificially boosting left-wing content creators and celebrities so that you think that their opinions dominate the airwaves. And is is representative of the consensus of how people feel. I'll tell you why. It's because they need you to stay ignorant, asleep, uninformed, and you know, an ignorant little drone, like like George Soros used to say. They want you dumb enough. They want you smart enough that you can run the machines, you know, and and be a cog in the in the machine. But they don't want you to be smart enough that you can realize that they're bending you over and effing you in the A. And that's what it comes down to. Because if you did, and people started to stand up, 
and realize, hey, wait a second. There's these people tyrannically ruling over me, destroying my life, destroying my wealth, destroying my family, destroying my health by poisoning the food and water supply and, and trying to make me sick. So I'm dependent on pharmaceutical drugs that they try to mandate on me. And, and I mean, all this stuff. And people realize, but wait a second. It's just a small handful of people at the top. And we are billions strong. I mean, we outnumber them by the billions. So are we going to continue to sit there and tolerate this? And once once that happens, then their system collapses. Their system 100% relies on your ignorance and your complacency and your laziness. So if it's if it's on some level, they don't care if you're informed, if you know how they're bending you over and effing you in the A. So long as you're too lazy or too weak or too scared to do anything about it. And that's why they hate testosterone and balls. You know, they want to get rid of all the balls. They want men to be weak. They want men to be. Uh... Come on. Let me let me cuss. I'm much a bet much better communicator when I can cuss. They want men to be pussies. That's that's the that's the bottom line. Because they understand, they understand that people are waking up. It's much harder to control the flow of information. And so what they would what they what their their plan B is, okay, well, we just have to completely disrupt the nuclear family family structure and screw these kids up psychologically so the next generation is so dumb and so completely ignorant uh, and, and you know, and, and groom them to have a slave mentality, you know, and groom them so that they have no ability to stand up for themselves. And if we can do that, then we win. It doesn't matter if we lose control of the information. You know, so so when you say does a does a does a great awakening really matter that much? I would say yes on one level. On one level, yes. But on the other level, it's one thing to have the information, it's another thing to use it. If we know all this stuff, but we just sit there, bend over and take it anyway, it's like I know you're effing me in the A, but you know, I'm afraid to stand up to you. So I'm just going to keep taking it. I don't like it, but at least I got my iPad. You know, at least I got my Netflix, Amazon Prime. So, I mean, I'll take a pound in now and then as long as I got my little, you know, luxuries. And you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Wow, this is a quite an intermission. I'm pretty sure I just simulated getting plowed in the butt. And yeah, so anyways, I think this court case is going great. I think that Carrie Lake has uh, a great, a great chance of victory here. And I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic. They want to destroy the nuclear family. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. They want to destroy the nuclear family. They don't want you raising your kids. They want the state raising your kids. They want TikTok grooming their psyche so that they can uh, screw them up and make them believe that they need to chop their balls off to feel happy when really it's their social isolation and disconnection from their own family members that causes that feeling inside that they think 
will 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 be alleviated by chopping their balls off. And if we actually and if we actually invest our time and our energy into our kids and we make um we make sure to be the actual I'm I'm indoctrinating my kid. That's all I'm telling you. Ain't nobody else indoctrinate my kid, not his teacher, not his not even his grandma. I'm teaching my kid right from wrong. My kid's going to be uh, raised by me. You know what I mean? And now that I'm a daddy, I feel like this, I feel like this new, newfound strength and it's like an animalistic thing. It's like deep inside of you, man, you, you, you protect your little cub, you know? And ever since he was born, I feel like this different outlook on life and this different sense of responsibility and so it's not just about me anymore. When I, when I sit there and make a decision about, am I going to stand up to this, or am I, you know, or am I going to sit there and take it? It's like, well, if you sit there and take it, then your child is going to grow up in this dystopian 1984 New World Order shit, where he's got a freaking chip in his brain, and they control his thoughts. And if he steps out of line, then he loses points on his social credit score, and essentially he's he's delegated to serfdom in a technocracy corporatocracy crazy combination of communism and fascism you know and i i just so i i just uh i just i have to factor all that in i have to factor that on it i don't want van i want my son to keep his balls okay and this house you're keeping those balls boy when you turn 18 and you leave and you can afford to put a roof over your own head and you want to get rid of your balls, that's fine. But as long as you're here, not only are you going to keep your balls, but I'm going to teach you the importance of having them. Oh, shit. Hawkeye says, Nick, in a few years, you'll have to get colonoscopies every five years. Oh, my God. I don't know where that came from, but I brought it on myself when I was sitting there pretending to get effed in the A by the deep state. So George Orwell warned us of this in 1984. Now I've read the book. I've read the book. I'm pretty sure that George Orwell learned that stuff in, in, uh, it was, it was based on the Bolsheviks, you know, the, 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 the plan, the tactics that they used. I'm pretty sure that wasn't 1984 based on the Bolsheviks. Nick, talk about Brunson. I'd rather not, man. I've talked about it a couple times. I I really I really admire the effort, but uh, I don't I don't really I I don't see the Supreme Court taking it. I'm sorry, but we'll know. I, I'm not going to sit here and and it could easily be interpreted as just bashing the effort, but that's not the case at all. I want to just kind of wait wait and see what happens on the sixth, but uh. Yeah, so so the last half, I mean, last half of this trial, we had, you know, Richard Barris and then the county's witness to try to discredit him completely, and it didn't work. Yes, okay, so it was about the Bolsheviks. So what that tells me, when you look at, you know, the Bolsheviks, communist Bolsheviks, the, the Nazis, uh, these tactics that they use to take over from from Stalin to Hitler to Mao, I mean, it, it's pretty much the same. 
I mean, basically, it comes down to the First and Second Amendment, it, it appears. They want to the, – the first thing is they want to silence you. They want to take <coughs> <coughs> take control of the information. Then they want to disarm the population. Um, there's always a there's always an enemy, you know, an us against them type of thing, where they they demonize a certain class, whether it be the Jews or in modern day, it's the uh, it's the straight white male. And what we're seeing, you know, is is effectively our our country is deteriorating. I mean, the, it's not just happening here, but around the world, where where societal norms have been flipped upside down and all of our traditions and values have been shitted upon and, and termed racist to completely uh, shift our world upside down and ram freaking communism down our throats. Now, I actually had somebody explain this to me. And essentially, I mean, if, if you look around, it's like clown world, right? Especially during the height of COVID when you had riots as well as transgender stuff just like popping out of the weeds dudes with boobs and uh trying to trying to twerk to your kids and then at the same time they're trying to force you to take an experimental drug and wear a mask then two masks then an n95 and two masks then a face shield then goggles then take them off then put them all on you have to have them in your car as long you know when all that was going on i had somebody explain it to me that the reason for all of this insanity I mean, because it, 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 it clearly none of it makes sense. And the reason is because when you can disorient somebody enough, when you can send them mixed messages and confuse them and distort reality so much, they can no longer sense the level of danger that they're in. And that's why it's not an accident that the COVID stuff, they were sending mixed messages. It's not an accident that they constantly contradict themselves and make hypocritical, contradictory statements on a daily basis. It's not an accident that so many different things are coming at you at the same time, and they're all so uh, absurd that you can't even wrap your mind around it and wonder, how do we get here? Just a few years ago, I remember the world was totally different. We, we weren't dealing with any of this stuff. It's all happening so fast. They turned the temperature up so quickly on purpose to disorient you and make you uh, feel as if you just can't get your feet on the ground because then you don't realize how much danger you're in because the world is so unfamiliar to you. Okay, so enough of my lecture. It appears that the live stream is back up. Guys, please do me a favor. Smash like. Subscribe to this channel. Also, check out the affiliate links in the description and consider going to nickmoseeder.locals.com. If you guys sign up and be a supporter over there, you get an extra video, extra live stream every single week. It's a trillion dollar value for $5 a month. It's the price of a cup of coffee. And it, I mean, Christmas is coming up. So if you want to know, Nick Moseeder, what do you want for Christmas? I'll tell you. If I could pick one thing, it would be for you guys to click like to subscribe and go to nickmoseeder.locals.com. I mean, is that too much to ask? Okay, I, I love you guys. We're going to pull this back up. And uh, nothing you're not missing anything, I promise. Let me pull this back up. And I'm pretty sure I got to tend to my, to my child. So I'm going to step out.
All righty then. Yeah. Oh, that includes what he, he added. All right, this is this is inclusive of the extra time he gave. Well, no, he added for no. Okay, he, they have fifty-three minutes. No, 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 no. They have twenty-three. You're 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 going up to hundred. You're right. Sorry, I gotta have more than that. Well, sixty minus seven. Yeah. Am I right on us having two? Okay, we'll then just get here. Use a clean sheet. All right. Please be seated. Okay. All right, this is CV 2022-095403. This is Lake versus Hobbs at Al present. For the record, are <clears throat> the parties are their representatives and their respective counsel. Uh, I believe we're pro proceeding with the presentation of defendant's case. Your next witness would be. Your Honor, our next witness is Ray Valenzuela. Thank you. Your Honor, as we get started, can we um, get a time check? I've, I've got our calculation, but I want to know where, where we are. Tell me what you've got, Mr. I have uh, 25 minutes remaining for plaintiffs, two hours, 24 minutes remaining for defendants combined. Okay. So where does that stack up with your count? Uh, Your Honor, we have 33 minutes remaining. Okay. And we don't want to. How we're calculating objections. We don't want to dispute whatever the court wants to do. It's fine. 33 minutes is fine. Okay. Mr. Valenzuela, you'll step over here, sir. Raise your right hand to be sworn. Sir, so make your way around to my right to the witness stand, please, and have a seat. <clears throat> please proceed as soon as you're ready. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Valenzuela. Can you please state your name for the record? Reynaldo Valenzuela. Uh, can you describe your current employment, please? I am the co-elections director of Maricopa County Elections Department, overseeing early voting and election services. Uh, have, did you have other positions with the Maricopa County Elections Department before you became the co-election director? Um, approximately six years ago, I was the elections director before we, the department had gone through and rearranged, and I also worked as assistant director uh, for early voting, uh, 
and other positions for the last 32 years with Maricopa County Elections. In your role as Coalitions Director, what are your responsibilities, briefly? Overseeing primarily the early voting process, all of its departments as far as uh, special election boards, mail-out balloting, and so on, and also candidate filing and campaign filing. Uh, do you hold any professional certifications? Yes, I'm a SARA certified, certified election registration administrator uh, through Election Center and Auburn University. Held that certification for 16 years and renew uh, every four years. I'm also a certified election officer through the Arizona Secretary of State, and I've held that certification for 30 years and it renewed every two years. Um, does Maricopa County's process for receiving and processing early ballot packets come within your responsibility? It is under my purview. Okay. And you may note that uh, I just said early ballot packets. Can you explain why you call them packets and not ballots? Absolutely. So in our department, the early voting department, we actually, that is our preferred term because I know a lot of folks, as far as lay folks would say, that ballot was inserted in the drop box, that ballot. And in fact, it's not the ballot, it's the packet that has to undergo scrutiny, verification and validation. So our department, the early voting department calls them packets because that's exactly what they are until they undergo that verification process to become a ballot that could be tabulated. Um, so. At the, at the front end, how does a voter get an early ballot in the mail? So there's multiple ways a voter can get. Uh, obviously, they can get it by request, get it by mail. They can get it early in person. Uh, they can also get it election day. And there is that process, again, by which we, the, the mail process is probably the predominant process that most get early ballots. And um, when a voter receive, receives a ballot by mail, um, how do you know that that's going to a registered voter? Well, early voting is reliant on the voter registration. Voter registration is a vetted process where the registered voter is, is verified through multiple statewide database that says that we check it against motor vehicles. We check it against INS. We check it against SSN, vital statistics, all of those things to come back. Once that voter is put on registration rolls, we we verify their address through sending them a return service requested registration card. But why I mention that is because then that vetted voter is put and eligible for an uh, early ballot, which is then created utilizing that record and a specific unique piece ID that is created for every election for that particular voter for that early ballot pack. And does that piece ID appear on the affidavit envelope in which a person would return an early ballot to the county? It does. Um. And what are the different ways that the county gets uh, early ballots from voters? So ballot uh, packets. Ballot packets, yes. So the ballot packet itself can be dropped off at one of our drop-off locations, whether it's a standalone drop box, which we have two, one here in Mesa, one in our, our McTech facility, can drop it off on election day or in person at any time during the early voting in-person period or can return it by mail. Before you ask the next question. <clears throat> I just noticed you speak quickly, Mr. Valenzuela. That may be a little bit difficult difficult for the court reporter to follow. If you could just slow down slightly, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Valenzuela, you just mentioned one of the ways that voters can return ba early ballot packets is uh, by delivering them to vote centers or drop boxes. Uh, how, if they, how do those ballots that have been delivered to a drop box or 
vote center during early voting. Uh, how do those, how does the county um, get those back to the central count facility? So we do have a courier process by which we assign two individuals of bipartisan differing parties, a dem and a rep is it specifically, and those individuals will visit the site, whether it be a standalone Dropbox, a city clerk that is uh, assigned to be a Dropbox only, and or an early voting in-person site. And those couriers would present themselves. They would, uh, those bipartisan couriers to the clerk, city town clerk, or the inspector at the polling place or vote center. And that they would begin that process of emptying that sealed blue box that is present for collection of that, of those ballots or packets. Okay. And you said, um, when you say emptying those boxes, that's emptying them at the, the site where the early voting site or at the, um, or the drop box. That is correct. So they would, they would, if it, they have a process by which, and I can delineate it is as short as possible or, or, but it is a secure process where they're filling out logs, a ballot, early voting ballot transfer, uh, receipt that is documenting seals, documenting the the transfer of those into a secure cage that is sealed and brought back to our McTech facilities. Okay. And if we could bring up Exhibit 20. You, it seems like you may have anticipated my question. Mm -hmm. uh, is this document uh, what you've just described as the early voting transport statement? It is. Um, and do these statements contain information about how many ballot packets the county received from the vote center or Dropbox? It does, but it is a after receipt at McTech, but it does indeed have that in the transport receipt section. So towards the, towards the bottom of that document, right. um, where it says count of ballots in transport bin? Correct. Um, at this time, Your Honor, I would move to admit Exhibit 20. Objection. Uh, no objection, Your Honor. 20 submitted. Okay. So I think we've gotten to the point where ballots, early ballots come um, back to the central count facility uh, at the county. Um, what, where do they go next? So they go this top part of the receipt that, and it actually very clear is at location is where they are basically just transferring those packets into a secure bin, sealing that, come to our Metech facility. Then we have two representatives, auditor boards that are again, made up of differing parties, a dem and a rep that will take that and open that box and confirm and document on this bottom section, the transport receipt, all of the seals that were removed that are brought back to from the original blue box the new seals that, or the red box seals, and also the new seals we put on the box that we just left. They also will begin a process because they're a smaller quantity. We do have a counting machine that we can run those packets through, uh, and we will then process those and, and not shown here, but as an audit slip that we document how many of each packet we have received. There are three different types of packets, an in-person counter packet, which is a white envelope, a mail ballot, which an individual, we mailed it and they opted to deliver it. So it's a green envelope. And then we have voters that may have cast a provisional ballot. So there are three envelopes. They will take those bins. They will count those. They will document on there, 
counterbalance and transform bin, and they will ready them to then be co-mingled with several other boxes brought in and seal that for transport to the for an inbound scan process at Rumbay. And just briefly, you mentioned the different colors of envelopes on this form next to the uh, line where it says count of ballots, where it says 107G slash 31W. What does that mean? That would be the 107 green affidavits, which would indicate mail ballots returned and 31 white, which would mean in-person early voters that still, because there is no tabula there, still follow the envelope process or packet. Okay. Um, so... You've also mentioned uh, may, receiving ballots by mail. How does the county take possession of ballots that are mailed back? So the county has with the United States Postal Service a, an arrangement that they do not deliver to us. We actually must physically be present at their main processing distribution center and have access list of individuals from our offices that would be eligible for that secure facility entry. And so we pick those up again with two individuals, a differing party, and they have those individuals' names on file and they must show badges and we collect those directly from the United States Postal Service. And when the county employees uh, pick up the ballots from the United States Postal Service, how are they packaged? So like all mail that goes through that distribution, millions of pieces they go through, including mail packets. Uh, they are trade and sleeved and caged. So when we come, there is a postal receipt that's, uh, that is an estimate of tray counts and, and totals within that tray. And so they are delivered to us at the dock in those cages, trade and and X of 30, approximately 30 trays per cage. So if we had two cages, we could have 60 trays with X amount of packets within them. And um, what do the county employees where do they go next with those ballots when they leave the United States Postal Service uh, facility on 48th and Washington? So those two couriers or, or pickup individuals will go straight to Rumbeck with that particular day's mail, whether it's several trays or several cages, depending on the, the you know turnout on that given day. And we then check in and transfer that. We complete a delivery receipt with Rumbeck with and transfer that those cages into their custody with our county protective services there uh, on site, but we, they are taken to run back and transfer custody with chain of custody documentation. Okay. So in this, at this point, sort of point in the early ballot process, um, what services is Runbeck providing to the county um, when you drop those ballots off? Ballot packets. So those packets themselves, they, they undergo what is called an inbound scan. And what that inbound scan's purpose is, three things, is to, one, take an image of that packet so that we have an actual image to utilize for signature verification instead of farming those physical packets around for signature review. So image of the packet, number one. Two, they do a count, an actual detailed count of those pits in that cage to report back. And three, they are their also identifying and validating that it is an actual packet that we created utilizing that piece ID, that unique piece ID tied to that voter that is specific to that election and created by us and in our system for the voter. Thank you. Let me, and let me step back for a moment. Well, I think I needed to go one step back in the process to, to cover something else. 
Can you bring up Exhibit 82, please? Okay. Um, so I think you mentioned that uh, the ballots from the Postal Service come sleeved and trayed and in cages. Um, do you recognize this document that's up on the screen right now? I do. And can you tell us what that is? It is, as I mentioned, the process is called inbound scan. It's This is our Maricopa County inbound receipt of delivery document that when we show up at Rumbeck, that we are basically transferred custody, but also it's the results of that scan uh, or the uh, the results of that estimate. An example is showing here 84 trays at, at 600 per or 400 per tray and so on. Then it tells you the quantity, the estimated quantity based on that, that receipt. In addition to, we may have regular MOBs, which is a mail out ballot that we're bringing because we've adjudicated or we cured one and so on. So for this particular day, we had one uh, tray of 599 regular MOBs and one tray of 13, what we call knee packets. And that's a, a disposition that should we have reviewed it and we can't make a absolute final determination, we need the packet. Very simple or very creative, but just need the packet back so we can have the physical packet to do follow up with the voter or on the packet itself. Um. So we, we've, we've mentioned that there are estimates um, when you've received the, the ballots from uh, the USPS. Do you get an exact count of the ballots, the USPS ballots that are delivered to Runbeck um, when they scan them? Exactly. That is exactly the process because there could be upwards of 10, hundreds of thousands that we can't count them at the dock. So we accept the tray count the estimated weight count as the post office provides to all vendors that pick up. And we then take it to that next detailed inbound scan count to get the exacting amount. Um, let's briefly talk about signature verification. I don't want to get into the details of the process, but um, why does the recorder do signature verification of early ballot affidavit envelopes? It's part of the process by which to prove identity. So obviously Arizona has a proof of identity. You go in person, you would provide photo ID. For a mail ballot, we don't request that you send your driver's license in. So that proof of identification is done through signature verification on a signature exemplars on file, vetted signature exemplars, registration form, multiple registration forms that you may have on file. Also past signature rosters. If you maybe you're not an early voter, but you voted in person, we have all of those signature rosters and signatures, in addition to past EV affidavit, vetted EV affidavit signatures. Uh, as an example, I myself, in, in showing this, and when we train, I have close to 32 different exemplars from all the times I voted and or registration forms. And just for the sake of clarity on the record, when you say EV affidavit, what does that mean? The EV affidavit is the packet that we speak of. It is the packet has the attestation and it has that I am who I am and it has our unique piece ID printed and the voter's information. And EV stands for? Early voting. And the, it, and it's what what the general public commonly knows as the envelope. The green envelope if they get it by mail. Um, does every early ballot that the county eventually tabulates go through the signature verification process? 100%. 
They cannot make it to the next phase. There's multiple bipartisan phases in between. They can't make it to the processing page made up of bipartisan boards who are auditing that tray report that says we've made these good, we've made these bad, we've made these need packet, whatever it may be, but the good six to get to tabulation must be signature verified. And I have a, a piece of housekeeping. I think I did not attempt to, I did not ask to um, move the admission of exhibit 82. Uh, Your Honor, I would at this time move admission of that exhibit. No objection, Your Honor. 82 submitted. And um, has the county ever authorized Runbeck to allow its employees to deliver their own early back ballot packets directly to Runbeck? No. And are you aware of Runbeck allowing its employees to do so in the past? No. Okay. Um, I have no further questions for this witness. And maybe some cross-examination. You have anything to do? I was asking you who it would be. Oh, you answered my question. Mr. Blum. Oh, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Valenzuela, um, isn't it true that uh, no Maricopa County employees uh, operate uh, Runbeck equipment? No, uh, correct. Okay. So isn't it true then that you farm out the counting of ballots to Runbeck on Election Day? We do not. You do, do not. not count ballots, counting ballot account packets. I think you just said you accept the mail, the, the U.S. Postal Service's wait, wait receipt. We accept. We don't. We don't utilize that for a final count. You rely on Runbeck to run these through the machine and give you a count. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Of the packets. Okay. And uh, the county does not run or operate uh, Runbeck. It is a certified vendor that we have contract with. And Exhibit eighty. That's just an inbound receipt of estimates. Is that correct? I'm sorry, you turned the inbound receipt of estimates. That's just an, an estimate, correct? For the exhibit 80? For the USPS packets. Who created exhibit 80? Hold on. Objection. It, I, I think uh, Mr. Blum has, is citing the wrong exhibit number. Oh, I'm sorry. The inbound receipt, the last one that was received. The, the inbound 82. receipt. 82. 82. Thank you. Who created that document? The format of the document. Who made the document? Who signs the document? Well, it signs the document. It's it's shared between sure. Runbeck and a county employee, the Kurt. So it shows, does it not, that you are turning over ballots to Runbeck, correct? We're turning packets over. Packets. You have no idea exactly how many you're turning over, correct? We don't. We have an estimate, but we don't. We rely on that count, that certified vendor, to do that. Why do we use Why do we use chain of custody documents that? that show the details of how many ballots we have. Objection. When you count ballots, you put them on a chain of custody form, correct? Wait a second. BBBTS process? Obje objection. He's calling for speculation, lack of foundation. Speculation? Hold on, wait, wait, let me rule. I'm going to ask a different question, Your because I'm... Okay, withdrawn. BBBTS documents that you testified about and we just admitted into evidence. Those contain... Counts, do they not? They do. The number of ballots that were brought back. Yes. Why do we do that? The number of ballots that are delivered and then the number of estimated in some cases. Why do we do that? Why do we provide that? 
Yes. So that we have a basis to reconcile to some degree. Okay. Isn't it so that we know exactly how many ballots were injected into the system at each point in the process? It is not because it we don't not. have that at the post office level. We As you sat here, you just testified. Hold on. Wait Mr. A L just a second. Let him finish answering. We only have one person speaking at a time, please. Okay. Sure. For the sake of my court reporter, okay, the record will look, if you've ever read a transcript, it has a bunch of dashes when people talk over themselves or each other. So please. And Mr. Oh, Valenzuela, you had absolutely no idea that Runbeck employees were allowed to inject ballots into the system. Isn't that correct? I do not. I did not. You had no idea. And isn't it true that you had no idea because you do not keep adequate documentation with regards to the number of ballots you receive on Election Day and give to Runbeck? Yes or no? It's a simple question. Objection, Your Honor. Objection to what? Foundation, uh, Mr. Valenzuela has not testified to uh, regarding election day. If he's able to answer the question, I'm going to let him answer. If he doesn't understand it, I'll have Mr. Blum rephrase it. So Are you if you can answer the question, sir, do so. If you cannot, tell us. So repeat, if you will. You have no idea how many election day ballots are transported to run back because you do not document exactly how many ballots are transported to run back. Isn't that correct? For the United States Postal Service pickup, we do not receive a finite number, so we do not know that number when we deliver to Runback. Dropbox ballots. Does the same apply? Does not. We do know that because it is a small quantity where we have a counter that we can count 100 ballots, 1,000 ballots, but not 290 through this counter. you know the exact number? Exact number of ballots, ballot packets, drop box ballot packets. We do, we do, part of our audit review is we do count the drop box ballot packets because they are outside of the purview, whereas a federal post office, they don't leave chain of custody from the federal post office once we pick them up, but the ballot boxes, we do make that count. On election day? On election day, no. Because we're not doing drop box courier uh, process at that time. It's a different process for election day. Thank you, Ron. Oh, hold on. Would you by chance happen to know uh, how many exact ballots uh, were door three ballots? Was it 17,000? I wouldn't speak exactly to it. That would be under the purview. Do you know how many thousands of duplicated ballots there were? I don't have that number to speak definitively. You know how many spoiled ballots there were? I do not. Okay. Do you know how many ballots were rejected and not put in door three, spoiled, duplicated, or otherwise? I have an estimate, but that's not under my purview as early votes. What's your estimate? For the... Okay, here's my question again very quickly, Mr. Valenzuela. How many ballots rejected and not put in door three, spoiled, or duplicated? That I don't. I just know of the 17,000 number, which is a total of unread. But not broken down. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Your Honor. No further questions. Thank you. Redirect. Briefly, Your Honor. That I wasn't going to say that. 
Mr. Valenzuela, uh, are election day operations and tabulation under your uh, responsibility? They are not. And whose responsibility uh, is over those two items? My co-director of elections, Mr. Scott Jarrett. Thank you. I have no further questions. Okay. May the witness be excused. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Valenzuela. You're excused, sir. County's next witness, please. Your Honor, we call Scott Jarrett. Go ahead and take the stand. Mr. Jarrett, you remain under oath from your previous appearance. Do you understand that, sir? Yes, I do, Your Honor. Thank you. You may proceed, counsel. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Jarrett. Could you please state your name? Yep, Robert Scott Jarrett. And where do you currently work, Mr. Jarrett? I work for the Maricopa County Elections Department. What is your current position? So I am the co-director of the Elections Department. I oversee in-person voting and tabulation operations. How long have you held this position? I was appointed by the Board of Supervisors in 2019. And could you just briefly describe your job duties in that position? Yes, so I oversee all in-person voting operations. So that includes early in-person voting that I report up to the Maricopa County Recorder for. Um, that does include drop boxes. Um, I also then oversee in-person voting on election day as well as, so that would be all the recruiting and training of poll workers, um, recruiting of temporary staff that work at McTech um, or the Maricopa County Elections and Tabulation Center. Um, and then I would also oversee warehouse operations, then all tabulation functions, including at the central count facility, as well as at the voting locations. Yeah. And what's your uh, educational background? So I have a bachelor's degree in accounting from the Arizona State University. And what did you do before you were the co-elections director? So I was an internal auditor with Maricopa County and then also had um, some time with the Maricopa County Community College District um, auditing performance, um, auditing risk management, risk um, mitigation, as well as compliance audits. So uh, we're just going to generally discuss how elections are conducted in Maricopa County on Election Day. Uh, to start, what was the total voter turnout in Maricopa County for the 2022 general election? So voter turnout was um, 64% or 1,562,000 um, voters are approximately there. Okay. And how did that compare to previous midterm elections? So it was one of the higher uh, percentages. Um, if you go back um, for several decades, all the way back to the 70s, um, it was actually the second highest as far as voter turnout. Um, 2018 only exceeded it by a small percentage. And then even more recently, the three, the average of the three um, midterm elections was about 54%. So that'd be 2018, 2014, um, and then 2010. So uh, turnout in 2022 was about 10 percentage points higher. 
So we've talked about vote centers. Just briefly explain how the vote center model works. Yes. So a vote center model um, works is it allows a voter to vote at any location that Maricopa County is offering. We offered 223 vote centers in the 2022 August, sorry, November general election. Um, That was an increase over the August primary, which we had 200 and 210. So, and it was also an increase over 2020, which we had 175 vote centers. So we're able to offer that option through our site book check-in station. So that will confirm if a voter is registered, confirm that they've not voted previously. And then it will allow us in conjunction with our ballot on demand technology, our printers, um, to print that specific ballot for that voter. Maricopa County, we have over 12,000 different ballot styles, so we cannot offer a vote center model without um, that ballot on demand technology. So, thank you. How does the elections department, well, actually, what's the average distance between vote centers? Uh, What was the average distance in the 2022 general? So we performed that calculation actually based off the August primary, where we had 210 vote centers. And that average distance was um, just under two miles per vote center, 1.98. We did add then those 13 additional vote centers for the general election. So that actually distance would be smaller, but I don't have that specific calculation. So... On election day, when people are voting um, and at times waiting in line to vote at certain vote centers, how does the elections department communicate with the public about the wait times that are at the various vote centers? So when we're tracking this information through our site books or our poll workers are going and gathering the number of voters in line, and they will go count all the way to the end of those lines. They report that back to us through that site book. Then we post that information onto our website that is updated uh, about every 15 minutes from every one of our voting locations. So voters will know when they're attempting or driving to a voting location, what is that wait time at that location? We advertise that through, we had many different press conferences leading up to the election, informing voters to use that website. All in-person voters are also provided a sample ballot. Um, And on that sample ballot, it directs voters to, it does provide their closest location, but also that they could go to the locations.maricopa.vote website to identify what are all their voting options and in-person voting locations. So um, based on Maricopa County's calculations, um, which, well, let's start with you. You heard Dr. Mayer's testimony earlier today um, regarding his analysis of wait times. Is that right? That's correct. And did you agree with his description of the way that Maricopa County makes that calculation? So we make our um, calculation based off of how many voters are in line and how quickly they're able to check in to those voting locations. Um, So that is how long it's taking them from the end of the line to be able to check in to then receive their ballot. And that's based off historical knowledge, as well as the throughput, how many voters are getting through and checking in on a a site book. Um, And I think you heard, or I recall Dr. Mayer testifying about 
uh, people's perceptions sometimes being incorrect about the length of time. Um, what are some of the things that you've um, observed or experienced impacting that perception or misperception perhaps? Yeah, I think when someone's making an estimate about how long they've waited in line, they may be making that off of when they arrived, they parked at the voting location, right? Whether they've um, then stood in line, right, to be checked in at the voting location, how long it took them to get their ballot, but also then how long it would take them to actually vote their ballot. And that can vary greatly, right? So some voters we had in Maricopa County, one of the longest ballots ever over, on average, over 85 contests. So some voters come in very, very prepared, right? They may even bring a sample ballot with them, um, and that can help them expedite and fill out that ballot much more quickly. Some voters may come in and they'll see the, the contest and they only want to vote a few. So that might only take them a minute or, or fewer to even complete that ballot. But then some voters, and this is within, we allow this. Um, we encourage voters to be able to do this. We want them to be for, informed. So they will go get a publicity pamphlet and they may investigate and read all the different information about each individual contest and then make their decisions in that voting booth. For example, one day in early voting, uh, we had a voter show up. Our voting location closed at five. They showed up at about uh, shortly before 4 p.m. And that voter didn't end up leaving the voting booth until close to 7 p.m. So they did not wait in any line to check in. They did um, not wait in any line to get their ballot printed out of that on-demand printer, but they spent several hours in the voting booth completing their ballot than to put that into an affidavit envelope to be returned to the elections department. So when your voters calculate the time that they spent voting, it's all based on some of their choices, their own choices that they make and how long they're going to complete their ballot or whether they're going to put their ballot into a tabulator or drop it into door number three, a secure ballot box. So based on, on the county's analysis, what were the longest wait times on election day? So we had at about 16 locations, um, wait times approaching um, about two hours or between 90 minutes and two hours. And that was not for the entire day. That was intermittent. Some of those were towards the end of the day. But in every one of those instances, we had locations that were close by for a, a voter to be able to choose a different option to be able to drive to. In some of those, ca those cases, it was less than one minute wait times. And just to reiterate earlier, that's all communicated and publicly available to the public on the county's websites. That's correct. They could sort on our website, not only by entering in their address, they can sort by wait times as well. And we had more than 85% um, uh, of our voting locations on election day never had a wait time in excess of 45 minutes. And it was, uh, I believe it was, over 160 locations never had a wait time over 30 minutes. So this this information that you just provided, was this part of the analysis that was provided in the report to the Attorney General that was discussed yesterday? Yes, that's correct. So I drafted that report. It was based off of all the information that we had, the data that we had in the Maricopa County Elections Department. So every aspect of that. And with regarding to wait times, it's based off that very systematic approach of how we train voters or how we train our poll workers to enter that data based on the number of voters in line. So 
Is it your belief that the information in that report was accurate and correct? That's correct. I believe that it was accurate. And what I communicated to um, the attorney general through that report was done with integrity and was accurate. Okay, so let's move on to actually election day. Um, and you talked about the ballot on demand printers, um, and I, you discussed that more than 12,000 ballot styles Maricopa County has, and that's why those ballot on demand printers are required, right? That's correct. Okay. Um, <clears throat> on election day in 2022, were there issues with some of the county's ballot on demand printers? Yes, there were some issues with some of our printers. And can you describe what those issues were? So we are in the middle of our root cause analysis still on this, but we have identified a few items that contributed to the printer issues. Um, the first was our, um, and what we would have our smaller printers, like OP printer. And that was, we had, it was not printing ballot um, timing marks on the back of the timing mark dark enough, or some of them were speckled. And that was due to what we identified was the printer settings or the heat settings on a fuser. Um, and we needed to adjust those printer settings to all be consistent at the highest heat setting. Now, we had used these heat settings for prior elections in um, 2020, as well as the August 2022 primary, the exact same heat settings. We had gone through stress testing and identified that this was not an issue or was not identified through that testing. Um, but on election day, we identified that due to the variance and the number of ballots being printed through, as long with the affidavit envelope, as well as the control slip, we needed to change those heat settings to be consistent for all three types of items being printed from those printers to be at the highest heat setting or the heavy heat setting. A few of the other items that we've identified, though, as far as our ballot on demand printers, we did identify three different locations that had a fit to paper setting that was adjusted on election day. So those were at our Journey uh, Journey Church um, in a North Glendale, Peoria area um, that had about 200 or a little over 200 ballots had that setting on it out of about 1500 ballots voted at that voting location. That'd be the same with our Gateway Fellowship Church, which is in a East Mesa voting location that had about 900 ballots out of just shy of 2000 ballots voted at that voting location. And then we had a LDS church, Lakeshore in the heart of Tempe that had about 60 ballots out of 1,500. So just shy of 1,300 ballots. And that was due to our temporary technicians when they were trying to identify solutions on election day, adjusting a setting. Now, this was not direction that we provided from the Maricopa County Elections Department, but adjusting that setting to a fit-to-paper setting. And that was, that was one of the vote centers that was um, reviewed in the inspection uh, by, uh, by the plaintiffs in this trial on Monday. So that or um, was that Tuesday? I forget the day. I've been working Tuesday, so every every day through the weekend. Uh, so so if I'm understanding you on election day when there was troubleshooting trying to identify this ballot on demand printer issue, one of the T techs or some of the T techs adjusted that setting and that impacted some of the ballots that were uh, cast at that at those three locations. Is that right? That's correct. And that was 
a not a 19 inch ballot right that when that happens it's a 20 inch ballot a definition of a 20 inch ballot that's loaded on the laptop from that is connected to the ballot on demand printer that gets printed onto then a 20 inch piece of paper but because of the fit to paper setting that actually shrinks the size of that ballot and then that ballot would not be tabulated on site at the voting location and also could not be on tabulated on site at central camp so if it couldn't be calculated or tabulated at the voting location and at central count through the regular tabulators what happened to those ballots so those ballots came back to the central count facility and then we had hired duplication boards a bipartisan team republicans and democrats to duplicate that ballot so they first affix a marrying number to that ballot so that would then be able to identify that ballot back to then the ballot that gets duplicated on site at the elections department so we can marry those two up and all the votes get get transferred um, to the duplicated ballot that gets counted and tabulated. So ultimately, all of those ballots were tabulated. That's correct. Um, so just to sort of close the loop on this, um, there were heat settings that had been identified so far in your investigation. There were uh, the T-Techs who had changed to the fit-to-page setting, and that impacted some of the ballots that were printed on election day. Were there any other issues that you discovered at this point um, that impacted the ability for some uh, tabulators at vote centers to be able to read ballots that were cast on election day? Yeah, so there's a few other instances that we've identified. One is um, the use of a very thin writing utensil, such as a ballpoint pen, and then voters using check marks or X's. And that is because our precinct-based tabulators, our vote center tabulators that are on site, they cannot read an ambiguous mark, right? So if a voter has an ambiguous mark on their ballot, the tabulator alerts the voter there is an ambiguous mark, right? And then that voter was given the option to either spoil that ballot and vote a new ballot or to put that ballot into the secure door number three, the drop box. So then that can be then returned to the elections department and duplicated. So we did identify about 10% of those door number three ballots were the cause of having an ambiguous mark on the ballot. We also did identify in our door number three as well, some early ballots that were inserted into that. So that is an indication that a voter took their early ballot out of the affidavit envelope, attempted to insert those into the, the vote center tabulator, which is not unusual. That happens every election. We also identified a few provisional ballots as well. So that's when a voter would be issued a provisional ballot on site they take it out of the envelope and then attempt to insert that into the tabulator as well. So our poll workers are trained not to look at the voter's ballot, see how that they voted. But they work with the voter to identify, okay, this ballot's not reading. And then if they were issued a provisional, ask them, where's your affidavit envelope? You need to insert that into the affidavit envelope. But at that point in time, it becomes the voter's choice. Do they want to insert it back into the affidavit envelope? Do they want to drop it into door number three? And to be clear, can the on-site, I think you've testified to this, but just to be clear, can the on-site tabulators read early ballots? They cannot read early ballots or provisional ballots. They're specifically programmed not to read those ballots as a control measure to prevent double voting. So <clears throat> we've talked now about the, the issue that arose 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the timing of of when you learned that that this was happening and in the process that the county took to try and identify a resolution that you said was was identified. Um, At about what point in the day did you determine, did you learn that there were some issues with tabulation? We received our first call from our first vote centers are starting about 620 to 630. And at that point in time, we, uh, once we started receiving those calls, we alerted the poll workers to follow their training, which was to, um, and a couple options. One was um, to have those voters and give them the option to drop their ballot into that secure door number three, our drop box, a practice that we've used in Maricopa County since the 90s, right? Ever since we first introduced on-site tabulators at those voting locations. Um, again, in voters being able to put their ballots in that secure drop box at, there's 15 counties in Maricopa County, eight of them. So, and if you go to the five largest counties in Arizona, Pima County, you and slightly Democratic leaning. You look at Pinal County, the third largest, slightly Republican leaning. You look at Yavapai County, again, slightly Republican leaning, and Mojave County. All of those don't offer on-site tabulation. They only offer a secure ballot drop box. So we alerted our voters to be able to, or our poll workers, remind voters that they had that option to drop off their ballot in that secure ballot Dropbox. Um, we also reminded them that they can have those voters spoil that ballot, check in again, get a new ballot. And then we also had implemented a cleaning procedure for this election for our troubleshooters. And so we had some of our troubleshooters start cleaning those precinct-based tabulators. So that was right away at about that 620 to 630 point. We also deployed TTECs or technicians out into the field. We had over 90 of them deployed on election day. And they started investigating and troubleshooting the issue. So that took us about a couple hours to rule out that it was not a tabulator issue. So at that point in time, those first couple hours, we were, was it a tabulator issue? Was it a printer issue? We started getting reports back by about 8.30 that it was the timing marks on the ballots themselves that they were not printed dark enough. So at that point in time, we need to determine why that was, because all of our stress testing at that point in time had never identified this as being an issue. So once we went through and were investigating that, we were working with our print vendor. They had uh, members out in the field deployed as well. We also had um, members from our tabulation company out in the field investigating as well. So by about 10.15, we identified the solution or an a potential solution, and that was to change those heat settings. Um, at that point in time, we need to replicate it. So then it took us about another hour at several different sites to replicate that that would be the, the solution on election day. Once we had identified that solution between then, I think it was around 1130, all the way through 7 p.m., which that's the time that's referenced in the Attorney General's report, the 7 p.m. timeline, we were making and going out and changing those heat settings on those tabulators. Um, so just to take a step back, some of the vote centers at Maricopa County are also early voting locations. Is that right? That's correct. We use a phased in uh, opening approach for our vote centers. So why is it that this issue with the ballot on demand printers wouldn't have been discovered through the early voting process? Well, because we didn't have any on-site tabulators at any of our early voting locations. So all of the 
the timing, the timing marks that were printed, so the lighter timing marks, all of those were able to actually be read through our central count tabulation equipment. So during early voting, a voter puts in their ballot into an affidavit envelope and brings it back to central count. Those get then run through our central count tabulation equipment. So those were running fine. We had no issues. Um, so only the ones actually that weren't running through our central count or our, our tabulator were the ones that were the fit to page setting for those, those printers. And none of those were occurring during early voting as well. So, <clears throat> Mr. Jared, do you have any reason to believe that the issues that occurred on election day with some ballot on demand printers was caused by intentional misconduct? I have no knowledge or no reason to believe that. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to switch gears a little and talk about chain of custody documents. Um, so you heard Mr. Valenzuela talking about the early ballot transport statements. You're familiar with those documents, correct? That's correct, because I oversee the in-person voting operations. And, and what are, the, just to reiterate, what are those documents used for? So those are used by our bipartisan courier teams to go out to vote centers and, or in drop boxes used during early voting, the early voting period, all the way up until the day before election day to retrieve early ballots that are in that affidavit envelope um, and to document the how they're transferred from those vote centers back to the central count tabulation center. Um, so all documents, all the tamper evidence seals, who those individuals were, as well as once they get back to the central count facility, the count of the number of early ballots that were transported. So then... That gets us to the day before election day, right? Let's talk about election day and the doc the chain of custody documents that are used on election day. Could we pull up plaintiff's exhibit 85, please? So <clears throat> I believe, Your Honor, that this has already been admitted into evidence. I believe you're correct. Right? Yes. 82. Okay. Well, so thank you. I'll, I'll take some a minute to establish the foundation for this document. Uh, Mr. Jarrett, do you recognize this document? Yes, this is an example of one of our precinct ballot reports that are completed. And well, first, um, the seal numbers that are here are actually during our logic and accuracy test. When we're scanning those in, those seal numbers are for the tabulators that are on site at every voting location. So some of this information is populated by the elections department pre or to occurring on election day. Mm -hmm. We deliver all of these precinct ballot reports to our inspectors. So those are the super supervisors at every voting location. And then the, the inspectors, along with their fellow poll workers, Will complete these documents on site at the voting location. Some of those tasks are done during the opening procedures. Some of those those tasks are done during the closing procedures. So let's walk through section by section what's on here. So uh, you talked that the purpose of this is is for the inspectors and some of the poll workers on election day to to document um, what's you know what's occurred at that location. So, what is the first section that's um, identified as opening poll? What information is provided in that section? Well, so 
I will say there is a name of the facility that was just higher up on the voting location. So each one of our facilities has this report that identifies the location in the facility. The next section talks about the tabulators and our accessible voting device. So this is to document this, that each um, tab door or port on that tabulator has a seal number affixed, right? Those seals were affixed by the Elections Department employees prior to or during the logic and accuracy test. And those are what the poll workers used to verify that those tabulators had not been tampered with um, between the time that the Elections Department affixed those seals and when the poll workers are opening up the voting location and opening the polls on election day. We also have information related to the accessible voting device. We have a lifetime counter that is um, that is being added to the the right there, the beginning lifetime counter under the accessible voting device. And then if there were any beginning total ballots printed, the accessible voting device is not widely used at all of our different voting locations. So it's not unusual for them not to have a ballot count on that next line, the beginning total ballots printed. Okay. And I think you said that the inspectors um, and the poll workers are completing these documents. Um, what just briefly kind of training do the inspectors get um, prior to, to having that role at uh, the vote centers on election day? So we go into in-depth in-person training on this form for all of our poll workers on how to complete this, not only our inspectors, but it's covered through a uh, PowerPoint presentation that goes through what are their responsibilities. We also provide a training manual that, that details exactly how this form should be completed. And then there's different checklists within our training manual for assignments on what the different poll workers and the roles that the poll workers play in completing this form. Um, so there's two tabulators at every location, correct? That's correct. So there's well, we have two tabulators at every location except for one, which is our Gaka Village location, um, which is actually to get there, we have to go through Pinal County um, and it serves the Tohono O'odham Nation. So Every other, every other vote center had two tabulators. Thank you. If we could scroll down a little further on the document. So let's talk about the closing polls section in the middle. What information is provided in that section? And when is that? Well, let's start with what information is provided. So um, at the end of the night, after uh, the polls have closed, all voters have finished voting and left the voting location. The poll workers start their closing operations, and then they start getting and compiling some information. Some of that information comes from the tabulators themselves. So that's what we see the ballot count on tabulator screen. So there's the two different tabulators. So then they'll log how many ballots were counted on each tabulator. They'll then check off as they're performing some specific tasks, whether they've removed the memory cards um, so those memory cards are what are going to be read in on election night to report results. So they're going to be removing those. They're going to be taking off a tamper evidence seal. They're actually going to be affixing that tamper evidence seal to the back of this form. Um, and then they're going to then take those memory cards, put them into what we call a bubble pack um, that's going to be in a container so that those memory cards can be securely and safely transported back from the voting locations. After both memory cards from the two different tabulators on site are in those those uh, those bubble packs. Those are then affixed with a tamper evidence seal as well, which is logged here. As well. And that, I believe, is the second or the next page of this exhibit. 
the under seals. Is that what you're describing? That's correct. So they take the actual seal itself and then they'll fix it to the back of the form. <clears throat> so let's then move down to the, the bottom section. That's it's, it says um, security seals. What information is being provided in that section? So here is where we're documenting the chain of custody of items being returned back from the voting location. So if they have a black bag, so those black canvas bags, those are what the poll workers use to, re to return the voted ballots. So those live loose ballots that are not in an affidavit envelope. So they'll put those in a black canvas bag, then they'll fix a tamper evidence seal to those bags, and they'll log that information here. Now, every voting location has two black bags that we issue to it. But sometimes voters only use one of the precinct-based tabulators, so they only take out the ballots from one of those locations, put it into that black canvas bag, so there'll only be one seal that's logged. They're logging here. The other information here is a red box or a red box seal. So those are the forms that are being returned to us from the voting location. So it's a secure container that is able, has a closing lid, and then they'll be able to fix tamper evidence seals to those and then log that information here on, on this form. And then those blue box seals, those are the transport containers that we're delivering the early ballot that are in those affidavit envelopes um, back to the elections department. So it's very clear. They're not loose ballots at that point in time. They're in a sealed green affidavit envelope with a unique piece ID on that affidavit envelope. Those go into these blue bins and they get logged the seals on those get logged onto this form. And this is what documents the secure transport from the voting location from the poll workers to the elections department. So before we talk about how all of this information and all of these items make their way back to MCTAC, um, Scott, in your position, are you familiar with the elections procedures manual? Yes, I, yes, I am. And in talking about this section on the blue box seals and the process that you just described for putting those green affidavit envelopes that were collected on election day into those boxes and sealing them, is that consistent with the requirements of the elections procedures manual? Yes, it is. Chapter nine, um, subsection eight, subpart B, I believe it's on page 192. Um, it describes that at the end of during that's closing procedures for our elections elections boards at our voting locations. So they will it provides for them to be able to put those those early ballot affidavit envelopes with the ballots sealed inside into a secured container. Does not require that we count those at the voting location. It just requires that we put those into a secure container, container, fix that with tamper evidence seals, and return it back to the elections department. Um, Your Honor, before we move to that, I would like to move um, Plaintiff's Exhibit 85 into evidence. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. No objection, Your Honor. Sorry. All right, 85 submitted. Are you able to pull up Exhibit 60? Okay. And if we can go to I think it's page 192. Uh, Mr. Jarrett just referenced. Um, 
So, Mr. Jarrett, is this the section that you were referring to? That's correct. Correct on um, that subpart B, election board closeout duties. And if you go, so you can see that on the left, page 192, on the right, page 193, it's actually that bullet G, the number of early ballots received by the voting location. So it has to, we document that on the, what we call our precinct ballot report, unless the ballots are transported in a secure, sealed transport container to the central counting place. And that's the practice of Maricopa County. That's correct. Mm. So <clears throat> once the form is completed, what happens next with the, the items that are documented on there and the forms? So those secure containers will then be transported one of two ways. One will be by the poll workers directly to McTech, our central counting facility, if it's one of the locations that's close by. Uh, the central county facility. So more so those are within central Phoenix. If it is a more remote location, then we set up a receiving site that has sheriff deputies on site. We have bipartisan teams. We have truck drivers at those voting locations. So, and then those would be receiving sites where the, the poll workers when, then will deliver all the items, including the ballots, those loose ballots that are in a black canvas bag that are sealed, the memory cards, the red transport containers, and the blue transport containers. Once those arrive on site, we have bipartisan teams filling out chain and custody documents, receiving all of those items, so documenting them coming into that receiving site. We're also then, for the first time now, scanning those items. So all those tamper evidence seals have a little barcode that can be scanned. So we're scanning all of those items as they're coming in from, from the voting location to the receiving site. They get loaded up. So all of the different receiving sites that are close by. One, so if we have one like at Surprise City Hall, all the voting locations that are close by Surprise City Hall drive there, deliver their items. Those will then be escorted from two different patrol deputies from the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, those trucks, all the way back to McTech. Once they arrive back at McTech, we're then scanning in all of those seals again, um, documenting that tra transfer of chain of custody from the truck drivers to McTech. Then once all of those seals are scanned, then for those early ballots that are in those blue transport containers, we send them through our bipartisan teams, uh, which we call our blue line. So that's where those, those seals will finally be broken once they get to the elections department. And then we will be, begin sorting them. So what will be in there are green affidavit envelopes. So those would be any of the early ballot drop-offs. There could be some of those white envelopes, those counter ballots that were still there from the night before, so on that Monday, um, during emergency voting, if voters had participated, um, or there could be provisional ballots in all of those. So that blue line team is now sorting those into different mail trails trays by ballot type. So, and then those will then be going into secure cages. So, and in those secure cages, we're able to estimate and provide an estimate of the number of ballots that are in each of those trays, as well as those, those secure cages. We then have a bipartisan team, then in a truck, deliver those to Runbeck on election night. We also employ a two-member team at Runbeck. So the, when we are delivering that first ballot, those first ballots, those early ballots, again, in a green affidavit envelope, there's a team on site at at Runbeck. One of them is a permanent employee. That permanent employee has a county issue cell phone so they can take pictures of forms that are being scanned through and 
counts and numbers documenting the exact numbers that are being scanned in by Runbeck. We also had a temporary staff member that was appointed by the county uh, chairman for the for the Republican Party um, that was also on site during this whole process. Those members are signing those inbound scan receipt forms. So as they're going through and being counted by those high capacity scanners, counting those green affidavit envelopes on election night, all the way through to the next day, which was not completed until actually 5 p.m. or just shortly after 5 p.m., um, they were scanning each one of those and then be able to scan them by ballot type. So here's the number of green affidavits that were in spec. Right? So some of them are underweight. So we're even documenting how many of those ballots were underweight, how many of those ballots were overweight, how many of those ballots actually didn't have a valid ID number. Those are a voter returning to us in a, a green affidavit envelope. They're maybe primary ballot or they're 2020 ballot. So and we're documenting all of those. So once they're scanned in, we have a one-for-one tracking for every one of those affidavit envelopes. But we also have a total count. And we had a total count of 291,890 early ballots scanned in. And the elections department with our vendor, best-in-class vendor, Runbeck, certified vendor, was performing those counts under the direct supervision and observation of Maricopa County employees. And we signed every single one of those inbound scan forms as they were coming in. They documented the start time of the scan. They documented the end time of the scan. That's how we maintain chain of custody for every one of those early ballots all the way through the process until we transferred it over to Runbeck. And then we had a one for one, that piece ID on every affidavit envelope. So we would know if a ballot was inserted or rejected or lost in any one part of that process, we would know it. Thank you, Scott. So I just want to be clear on the numbers. So these 291,890 are the number of ballot or I mean, early ballot packets that came in on election night. Is that right? That's correct. So in, in earlier, Mr. Valenzuela talked about the need to use the, the high speed scanners at run back to be able to process a number that high. Is that correct? That's get- correct. And that's why we had a team, right, following that chain of custody all the way through the process until we got to Runbeck. And then even at Runbeck, we had teams hired by Maricopa County to maintain that ch- that custody until it was transferred and we had an actual count of those ballots. So could we pull up Defendant's Exhibit 33, please? So this is a little challenging to read, Scott, but do you recognize this document? Yes, I do. Um, And is this the inbound receipt of delivery forms that you were talking about? That's correct. So that is a a run back. It's a three-part plight form that's completed. And then you can see, and not in the best image quality, but you can see right under where you can see the grid or the boxes, there's some staff member signatures that are being signed right there. And those are the Maricopa County employees. Thank you. Sorry, just a little housekeeping, Your Honor. Did we admit Exhibit 85? The plaintiff's Exhibit 85, I believe.
today. Okay. Today, then, yes, it was. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Scott. Um, So, I'm sorry. So, we started, um, these are the ones that are used on election night, I believe you just said? That's correct. Okay. So, let's talk about the information that's documented on here, starting at the top. So it will be identifying the date and the and the operator at Runbeck that's running your equipment, mm-hmm. right? And then we have an election number that's assigned um, for every election. So that's documented at the very top of this. The next items are going to be the batch ID that's assigned by Runbeck um, that's being scanned through their inbound scan equipment. And then the next pieces of information start counting the number of green affidavit envelopes that are being scanned in through their their equipment. So the inbound scan here, it's showing there's 9,940 um, inbound scan green affidavit envelopes. Also, then we'll show the number of provisionals. And here I can't read it on, on this equipment because mm-hmm. of the image quality. It will also show the number of early ballot affidavit envelopes that are overweight. So that could be that the voter kept the instructions in that green affidavit envelope. They'll show them the number of uh, green affidavit envelopes that are underweight. So maybe that's an empty affidavit envelope, or maybe the, the ballot's damaged inside and it's not a complete ballot. Um, it also show then the number of um, ballots that didn't have or had an invalid ID. So those are potentially the green affidavit envelopes that are from the primary election, right? Or then if it's unreadable. So there are some times where there's a damaged green affidavit envelope, or that affidavit envelope can't be so we're taking that image, and those will go through special handling, turned over to the recorder's office and the early voting team to document that transfer of custody. And I think you testified before that at all times of this process, from when these are taken out of the blue bins, placed into the trays, into the cages, transported to run back, that is all done under the observation of Maricopa County permanent employees. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so if you look at this document, Again, hard to see it on here, but <clears throat> where do you s- see that the county employees have signed off and verified the information on here? So it's that those signatures just below that grid, and you can see two different signatures. One of those is one of our permanent employees, okay. um, and one of those was then that temporary employees. And by the way, it was a Democrat and a Republican there, so that we had that bipartisan representation as well. And then our permanent employee with their county issue cell phone, after each one of these were scanned in, they would take a, they take a picture of that. And then they sent that via email to me, Mr. Valenzuela, um, and a few of the other election directors, our assistant election directors within. So we had then an accounting for these via image as well. And just to be clear, the temporary employee that you referred to was appointed by the, the county Republican chair for the Maricopa County. Um, Republican Party. Okay. So, and then once this process is completed, um, then these go, am I correct that these go through then the, the signature verification process like Mr. Valenzuela described in his testimony? Is that right? That's correct. So these ballots would then be secured and stored in a vault, Right under them, we have a security guard on site, a Maricopa County employee security on, guard on site for 24 hours a day. And then once they are completed the signature verification process, then run, then they won't be transferred back to the county until that's completed. And all of those are documented through those forms 
that Ray, our Mr. Valenzuela went through. Thank you. Your Honor, I'd like to move exhibit, defendants exhibit 33 into evidence, please. Any objection? No, Your Honor. 33 is admitted. All right, one one last point, Scott. I, I During the course of, of this um, process, we've heard discussion of the 275,000 plus uh, estimate that was made um, after voting was completed on election day. Can you explain how that uh, number, um, how that estimate gets made on, on election night? So those were based off all those green affidavit envelopes coming back through those blue transport bins that we broke the, the tamper evidence seals on and then inserting, taking those out and organizing them into those mail trays. So at that point, it's just an estimate. And so then um, Mr. Recorder, Richer, um, he made an estimate early in the day following election day on 11, 11, 9, the day after. We had not finished our scanning in process. That wasn't completed till much later in the evening, just shortly after 5 p.m., when we had that full accounting for all those 290,000 uh, early ballots. So that estimate was released earlier in the day to just give an indication of there was going to be 275,000 plus early ballots that still needed to be counted. Thank you, Scott. One moment. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Cross? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Jarrett, do you recall your testimony yesterday? Yes, I do. And yesterday you testified that a 19-inch ballot image being imprinted on a 20-inch ballot did not happen in the 2022 general election. Did you recall that? Yes, I recall that there was not a 19-ballot definition in the 2022 general election. Yeah, but that, that wasn't my question, sir. I asked you specifically about a 19-inch ballot image being imprinted on a 20-inch piece of paper. So are you changing your testimony now with respect to that? No, I'm not. I don't know the exact measurements of a fit-to-paper fit to um, printing. I know that it just creates a slightly smaller image of a 20-inch image on a 20-inch paper ballot. Slightly smaller image. How come you didn't mention that yesterday? I wasn't asked about that. Well, I was asking you, is 19 inches smaller than 20 inches? Is It is, isn't it? Sure. Yes. So when I said, you know, asked you questions about a 19-inch ballot image being imprinted on a 20-inch piece of paper, and you denied that that happened in the 2022 general election, did you not think it would be relevant to say, hey, by the way, you know, there was this fin-to-print image issue that we discovered? Your Honor, I object. Uh, the counsel is misstating Mr. Jarrett's testimony from yesterday. Okay. Once again, if he's able to understand the question and answer it, he can do so. If you, need, you don't understand it or you need it rephrased, you can do that as well, Mr. Jarrett. If you're able to answer, please do so. What I recall from yesterday's questioning was that there was a 19-inch definition, which that did not occur, ballot definition. So 
if your testimony reflects my question or strike that, if the back and forth between our uh, question and answer shows me asking you specifically about a 19-inch ballot image being printed on a 20-inch piece of paper, you are now saying that you interpreted that as a ballot definition issue? Yes, that's correct. And you wouldn't think it would be relevant, even in that circumstance, to say, hey, we, we learned about this fit-to-print issue. Did you know about the fit? When did you learn about this fit-to-print issue? When we started doing the audit. Did you know about the fit? When did you learn about this fit-to-print issue? When we started doing the audit reconciliation of those door three ballots, we identified some of those ballots had then a a fit to fit to paper issue. Hmm. And when was that? I don't remember the exact dates, but a few days after election day. And who told you about that? Our ballot tabulation team and our our audit review team that was then doing those doing the inspection of the door three ballots. Hmm. So, and I believe your testimony was that you discovered this only in three vote center locations, correct? That's correct. Okay. So did you look at the other locations to see if this so-called fin to print issue arose at, at other locations? We looked at all the door three misread ballots that were in the, the secure door three and we didn't identify any of those that a fit to fit to paper issue fit to paper issue so if evidence showed up that there was a uh, 19 inch ballot imprinted on a 20 inch piece of paper out of the anthem location that's not one of the locations that you identified is it i did not identify that at from anthem When did this so-called adjustment to the printer settings happen on election day that gave rise to this fit-to-print issue? I don't have the specific time, but it was during the course of election day. And was this fit-to-print issue, how did those settings get changed? Was it at the direction of somebody from Maricopa or just somebody on their own doing it? It was not at the direction of of anyone from Maricopa County. So was the change in the settings in response to tabulator issues? So we believe at least at one of the sites, one of the technicians was attempting the troubleshoot and then made that change. So if other sites, if the tabulator issues arose immediately before any technician made any changes to the print settings, then your theory of a fit-to-print issue would not be correct. Yes? No, I disagree. So when would the changes to the printer settings have been made? So the reason I know it didn't occur prior is because during our test prints, prior to election day, there was no identified fit-to-paper setting issue. And when was that? We do that during when we're setting up each voting location. We run test prints on all of the printers. And how would you know that it didn't arise? It was never reported back through our chain of custody from the technicians to 
up to me, which they would have reported that to me. Why, why do you think they would have reported it to you? Because I meet with the team routinely and throughout the day. And I've even asked them subsequently, and they've said that they never identified it during any of the setups. So did you have a meeting with all these technicians and ask them this question? I had a meeting with our command center okay. teams. Did Were all the technicians asked about this fit-to-print issue? I don't know if all the technicians were. Is there any documentation of any inquiry about this fit-to-print issue? I don't know if there's any documentation. So you said you performed a root cause analysis to determine the how these problems arose on election day? We're in in the process of performing a root cause analysis. Ah. And as part of that root cause analysis, you determined that there was this fit to print issue in three locations, correct? That's correct. Is there any documentation preceding yesterday's testimony that identifies this issue? As part of, yes, there are, there is some documentation. What documentation? So some of our, our, our audit reconciliation forms that identified the three locations. And what, what do those audit reconciliation forms show? They show the number of check-ins from voting locations. They so, show the um, number of uh, door three ballots and then notes based off our audit reconciliation. Okay. Does it say fit to print issue was the cause or words to that effect on those forms? It actually is using the term shrink to fit, not fit to shrink print. to fit. Shrink to fit. And is that was that determined to be the cause or is that a uh, is that an assumption as a possibility? It was determined to be the cause for those three locations, for the ones that wouldn't be read at the voting location and then be read at central count. And again, you did not mention this in your testimony yesterday, did you? I did not. Did you publish anywhere that there was this shrink to fit issue after the election? We've not. So you didn't tell the public, hey, we've discovered. I mean, you're performing a root cause analysis and you find out that there was this shrink to fit issue that gave rise to uh, problems in the tabulators and you did not inform the public about this. We're still in the process of our root cause analysis. Okay. With respect to the chain of custody issues that you testified to, does Maricopa County know the exact number of ballots that come in election day ballots, not early vote ballots. Do they know the number of ballots that come in to MTech on election day? The exact number? Through our memory cards or what are read in from those memory cards, we have an accounting for what gets reported. And how are those memory cards generated with the ballots? Where do the numbers come from on them? From our vote center tabulators, those on-site tabulators. So every ballot that gets read into a vote, a vote center tabulator gets logged, and then those results are read onto that memory card. Uh, before they're sent to the tabulator, aren't they? Aren't the ballots sent up to Runback for scanning and processing? Uh, are you referring to election day ballots? Yes. Ones that are tabulated on site? No. They're, they're not, not tabulated on site. That are, aren't they ballots, envelopes delivered to Runbeck for scanning and processing and then sent back to MTech? I'm sorry, I 
when you said election day ballots, you didn't say the early ballots that were dropped off on election day. So I misunderstood. So can you get your question? The election day ballots, does Maricopa County maintain an exact count of them before they are shipped to Runbeck? So you're referring to, again, the early ballots that are dropped off on election days. Are those the ballots that you're referring to? No. I'm referring to the ballots that come in on election day that are dropped off. I don't understand your question because the election day ballots, we refer to those as the ballots that are tabulated on site. So I'm asking you, the ones that go to Runbeck are the early ballots that are in the affidavit envelopes that can get transferred to Runbeck. So that's what I'm asking you. Are those the ballots that you're referring to? What about the ballots that are dropped off in drop boxes on election day? Yes. So those are the early ballots in the green affidavit.